In this week's episode of Undone with Ashley Dunn, I talked to licensed psychologist, Dr. Akila Reynolds. Dr. Akila breaks down the stigma of therapy within the black community, managing anxiety and depression in the pandemic, navigating unresolved traumas, healing, and so much more. I hope you enjoy this episode. Good morning, beautiful. How are you? Well, how are you? You look you, so pretty. You look so pretty. I'm so excited to see you and talk to you again. Oh my goodness. It's been years. It has been years. So hello, Dr. Reynolds, Dr. Akila Reynolds, and welcome to the Undone Podcast. Um, I'm so excited to have you on today. You look beautiful. Um, before we dive in, let me tell you guys about how bad this woman is because she's bad. <laughs> Dr. Akila Reynolds is a licensed psychologist based in California. She specializes in helping busy professionals manage both personal and professional success by focusing on mental health. She earned her PhD in counseling um, psychology from the University of Houston, a master's degree in psychological counseling from Teachers College, Columbia University, um, a bachelor's degree in psychology from a university at California, Berkeley. Dr. Akila is a member of the Black Girl Doctor Collective, co-founder of SBW Bonus Co Collaborative. And Dr. Akila has over 10 years of clinical experience working with clients across multiple settings, including hospitals, private practice, et cetera. And congratulations, you just got engaged last year. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, so exciting. So. Look, the last time I saw you, you were a journalist, right? Is that right? Kind of, yeah. So we met in Houston. Was yeah. it randomly somewhere? I, I don't exactly remember, but I was randomly. I was actually just starting my PhD program. Mm -hmm. But while I was starting that, I had actually co-founded an online magazine called You Blush Magazine with two of my best friends. Mm -hmm. And so that magazine was just focused on women, essentially, like being your best self. Um, across multiple areas of your life. So that's, you met me at that point in my life. Wow. And so talk to us about your journey, like since then, what inspired you or informed your decision to take on this journey to becoming a doctor? Was that something that you always desired to be? You know what, Ashley? No, I, I didn't <laughs> always desire this. Um, I think it crossed, like when I was a kid, I was a big dreamer. So I always had these lofty dreams about what I would be when I would grow up. And um, being a doctor wasn't really one of them. Being a psychologist crossed my mind one time. And then I told myself, it's too much school, you know? And at that time, I only thought it was eight years. It took me way longer than that. Right. So I, I just kind of brushed it off. Like, no, I'm not going to do that. I really thought I wanted to go into business, be an entrepreneur, um, maybe work in marketing for a little bit. So that's kind of what I was thinking when I went into college, but my life just took a, another direction. Girl, talk about the pivot. Um, what did you see growing up that reflected where you are now? What did you see, whether it be in the media, whether it be in your household that reflected, and it doesn't necessarily have to be you choosing a career as a doctor, but just where you are completely in your life now. What did you see growing up that informed where you are today? Yeah. You know what? I, I really have to credit my two big sisters. Uh, I have two big sisters. You do too? Yes. yes. Are you the youngest? I'm the youngest. Yes. 
<laughs> me too. So I grew up in a house, um, my mom and dad, and then my two big sisters, one was six years older than me. And the other one was six years older than her. So, oh my God, seven years. You? I'm serious. Seven years apart each. We're the same. Keep going. That's crazy. So, you know, I had siblings, but I also had enough time to myself because of how big the age difference was. Mm -hmm. But I do have to credit my sisters because they were my biggest role models. Like when I was younger, I just wanted to be them. And I wanted to be my mom because I thought my mom was a boss and she had this and still has this very vibrant and big personality. She's a huge helper. Mm -hmm. And my sisters, you know, they were smart in school. They were athletic. One of my sisters was kind of like a jet setter. She, you know, lived in New York, lived in LA and traveled internationally. So if you talk about my life now, I live in Los Angeles, mm -hmm. but I also lived in New York for a little while. And at a point I met you in Houston. So I kind of bounced around a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I think it was my big sister who kind of showed me that I could get out and it was okay. Cause outside of that, my family is all in the Bay area. Oh, wow. That's awesome. girl same. My sisters inspired me to like, they were the my first role model, I like to say, they were the two that I like looked up to for fashion, for just everything. And then it came to a point though, where I was like, okay, I have to carve out my own space and my own path because, you know, being the baby sister, you feel like you have to kind of step into their, whatever they did, it's like, okay, you automatically assume to be successful, you have to do what they did. And I had to like find my own like way and make, you know, my own path. Did you find yourself experiencing that too? Absolutely. By the time I hit high school, I started to realize that I wasn't really going to be on the path that they were on. So mm -hmm. I'll tell you, a part of my sisters, they were athletic and I was athletic too as a kid, mm -hmm. but they both ran track for UC Berkeley. Oh, wow. And so I, you know, I, I ran track a little bit when I was a kid, but mostly I did basketball. I was probably better at basketball and volleyball, mm -hmm. but I had always known, okay, they ran track. So I need to run track too. I need to run for UC Berkeley. That's what they did. Right. And so finally my junior year, my sophomore year, mm -hmm. I got on the track team and girl, I just, I don't like running for no reason. And so same right every day I will fall out on the track like just I'm tired I'm dramatic too so I'm tired oh my gosh but I like really was starting to trying to push myself to do what they did mm -hmm. and the last race I ever run it was I think I did the 300 hurdles that's what it was I did the 300 hurdles and that was because my coach she knew my sister when my sister was in high school or something like that. And she had done the 300 hurdles. So she put me on that too, doing the same thing that my sister did. And it was the last race I ever run. Um, I was like the last 100 yards. I had two hurdles left. And for some reason I was tired. I hit the last hurdle and I was like, okay, you got one more. And I hit the, the, the final hurdle and I fell oh, and my legs just kind of gave out on me. I like tried to get up and I just collapsed again. And I literally crawled across the finish line. Oh, wow. And that was crazy. It's funny when I look back on it, but at that time I realized like, Nikila, this is not for you. Like this Girl. Isn't... <laughs> it's about running your own race, right? Exactly. And <laughs> so from then on, I set out that I was going to live the life that I wanted to live. And that may not include being an, a student athlete in college and that's okay. And so from that point, I appreciated my sisters. I learned from the great things that they did. I learned from the mistakes that they made. And I used that to kind of forge my own path. I love it. And what a beautiful path you forged. Um, I want to dive into your work as a psychologist. Um, just, I have so many questions. So 
just to be ready. You ready? Absolutely. <laughs> so only 4% of psychologists in the U.S. are Black. Um, Dr. Kilo, why is there such a shortage of Black psychologists? And did that maybe a longer journey in school push you or motivate you to want to become a psychologist even more so that you can show other Black girls and women that they too can take up space in this field? Absolutely. I think that's sort of a mirror of the overall like healthcare profession. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't know the actual numbers for medical doctors, but mm -hmm. I would imagine maybe somewhat similar. Right. So I think unfortunately, probably the legacy of racism in this country has a lot to do with that. Mm -hmm. And just having access to um, higher education means and, th and then also I think that's really important is just the people like gatekeepers. Yeah. Um, the thing that I enjoyed and appreciated about my education is that I was in a research lab of a black woman professor. Wow. And at that point, when I first came into the, the program, the only black people, and we were all black women, a team of badass black women psychologists or psychologists to be, but mm -hmm. we all got ushered in through her. And at that time, she was the only black faculty. And so I think a part of that is who is at the table, who's gonna let you in, who's gonna give you an opportunity, who's gonna see something in you. And I, you know, I, I think a lot of that has to do with making sure that you have professionals and mentors who also look like you and that are from the black community. And that leads me to my next question. So I was watching um, the premiere of uh, This Is Us when it came on last year. And I spoke to Sterling K. Brown about, you know, that powerful um, episode in which He's battling with his therapist. His therapist, I believe she was an Asian lady and he's struggling because he wants uh, a therapist he can connect with. And so he ultimately like tells her he has to let her go and he has to find someone that he can relate to. Have you, which was ultimately a, ultimately a black therapist, have you found it that people seek you out, black people in general, because they're longing for somebody who gets them, who gets their culture, who gets their journey and the issues that they're facing. Yeah, and that's a part of why I joined the Black Girl Doctor. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's not my company, it's some uh, Dr. Ty's company and she founded it, but I think she's a visionary mm -hmm. in the sense that, you know, Black people and Black women, mm -hmm. we want Black psychologists and Black women psychologists um, if we want to drill down a little bit. So I do find that a lot of people seek me out because they're looking for a Black therapist and it's extremely hard. You, you gave out the numbers 4%. Yeah. So it's, it's really hard to find a Black therapist. I even, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm one of those therapists who also seek therapy. So I even struggle with finding a black therapist because, you know, I have my own, my own, you know, group of black therapists I know, but I can't go see them. Um, so yes, I, I do find that that's important. There's a thirst for it. There's a need for it. Mm -hmm. And I also find that as a patron of healthcare in general, even black medical doctors that I'm also seeking that because there's a lot of racism in healthcare. Definitely. That's really, oh, that's good. And I'm, I was, I'm gonna dive into that a little bit later about you and like how you deal with your stuff as a therapist, but I'll get into that. As you know, we are still in the midst of a pandemic. Um, you were recently on a guest on Taraji P. Henson's Facebook Watch show. You look so cute. I was like, yeah, <laughs> magic, yes. Thank you. Um, and you talked and gave so many insightful and helpful tips on dealing with isolation for the holidays. Um, well, the holidays are now behind us and we are in week two of 2021 and we were already like thrown a big curveball last week with 
the chaos that, you know, unfolded <laughs> in yeah. Washington. And with COVID numbers still on the rise in a pandemic that's very much still like, you know, in the front of us, like a lot of people thought, you know, 2021, oh, you know, this is it, pandemic's over. But we're realizing a lot of people are still like saying, are you feeling sad? I'm still feeling sad. What's going on? And it's still those effects of the pandemic that we're still in. And it's, you know, not over. We don't know how long we'll still be in this. What tips or what would you recommend for people who are struggling um, with anxiety and depression as we enter another year of the pandemic? You know, year one, okay, it was new, it was fresh. People got adjusted to it. You know, people are tired. <laughs> people are like, okay, enough is enough. What would you recommend for us or the people that are struggling with anxiety and depression? Yeah, and this is why I believe in honesty. You know, <laughs> I think that yes. it, I understand that there's a need to caution and you don't want to create a sense of chaos, mm -hmm. but you also want to be honest with people about the reality of a situation. Right. So for me, I always gave myself till 2022 that now if it goes to 2022, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> But, you know, I kind of was listening to some people who were talking and, and trying to take notes from the 1918 pandemic, and it was two years, so I kind of thought through that. But unfortunately, I don't believe that, that that's been a mass messaging for people, and that's just probably my own, you know, level of anxiety that I'm more careful. Right. What I think is really important, though, as it relates to being mindful of depression, anxiety, isolation, as we go into the second year of this pandemic, and unfortunately, the numbers are continuing to rise, yeah. and if you're in California, you're going to be sheltered in place for a while like that's just kind of the way that life is right now mm -hmm. I think number one is self-monitoring mm. so you have to be really aware of yourself your own emotions your thoughts your feelings physiologically and also emotionally and then aware of your behaviors and how you move in the world mm. and as you start to notice changes in yourself if you notice changes in your sleep yeah. if you notice changes in your mood you're more irritable or you're just not as perky or chipper anymore, if that's your normal demeanor. If you start noticing that you're getting in more conflict, just noticing any changes, then you can identify that, A, something is off with me. Mm -hmm. And then you can kind of do take some stock of yourself and figure out maybe it is anxiety. Maybe it is depression. Maybe you just miss your family. Um, sometimes throughout this whole pandemic, if I take myself, I have gone through phases where I've been completely fine. And then phases where I realize I've been in the house way too long. Same. And, and so once you self-monitor and realize kind of what's going on and maybe what the problem is, then you got to go out, be creative, essentially. Now, we have to follow the rules and we want to be safe. But the flip side, if you live in California, especially if you live in Los Angeles, outdoors is generally open. Like you can't be indoors with people, but you can go to the beach. They haven't shut that down right now. You can go hiking. They haven't shut that down, I don't think, um, so far. And you can take a walk around your neighborhood or take a walk around as long as you're being safe. So I encourage a lot of outdoor activities as much as you can. I encourage sunlight, fresh air, and then just being creative with how you connect with family and friends. These Zoom meetings this is what we got, so you got to make the best of it. FaceTime, sending test messages. If you are able to socially distantly have a you know, a friend meeting, maybe say hi to someone from 10 feet away, mm -hmm. be safe and you, you have to make those decisions for yourself. Mm -hmm. But I would highly encourage that. One thing I want to share that I do during the pandemic, I love the iPhone because it shares these memories every day. Do you get that? I do. I do. I love it. Yeah. 
So I, whoever's in the picture, I just send it to them. And that's kind of my way of connecting with them. And that's my way of kind of remembering a time when outside was open and it's fun for me. That's really thoughtful. I love that idea a lot. That's really thoughtful. And I want to ask you, how are you planning to like do your wedding activities with, you know, us being on the lockdown? Are you planning to do it next year or what are your thoughts? Yeah, I've, we've decided that, you know, I am okay with pushing it back into 2022. Right. Um, so that's probably what we will end up doing. Mm-hmm. If we do anything this year, it will be something small, intimate, um, maybe outdoors. But likely, you know, for me, it's just having a partner that I love, care about, can weather this storm with me. Mm-hmm. And that has been amazing. So um, if 2022 it is, I'm excited and we're probably going to plan a really big vacation. So yeah. that's what I'm mostly excited about. I do have a friend though, who's getting married in 2021 and she's going to plan an outdoor like social distancing. Oh, that's nice. That's, I can't wait to see your like wedding photos and everything. I know it's going to be beautiful. Um, black and brown communities have been disproportionately impacted by COVID-19. Um, couple that with racial injustice. Black families are struggling twofold, right? Um, How do we as a community come together to like heal and deal with what's going on? You know what I mean? Like what we just saw last week was a reminder of the racial injustice, right? That we are facing, that why we continue to scream Black Lives Matter, why we continue to be at the protest and on the front lines. Um, and it's very disheartening and it's very draining and it's very, um, I think, emotionally overwhelming for Black people, you know, because again, we're dealing with a health crisis, but we're also dealing with, you know, a racial crisis. What are your thoughts? I think that's the big thing about 2020. And, uh, you know, we saw that with uh, all of the protests that came out after mm-hmm. George Floyd. And I think it's just really important for us as a Black community to be honest, to allow ourselves to be honest about how we feel about this, to allow ourselves to be angry because we have every right to be angry, and to not personalize some of our struggles, um, that it's not something wrong with us, that we have to recognize that it's a system, it's racism that really impacts every facet of our lives, no matter if society is willing to admit that or not. Right. And, you know, I think that when you personalize racism, then you end up sort of feeling bad. Oh, I can't find a job solely because something is wrong with me. Mm-hmm. I think there's there's something, there's individual responsibility, yes, but you have to also be honest about some of the forces at play here right. or maybe your health outcomes. Um, I've had some health, you know, things that I've been going through. And a part of it was I wasn't, I felt that there was racism in the healthcare system. And so if I personalized that and thought that there was something just solely wrong with my body, no, there wasn't. It was actually the care that I was getting was inadequate. It wasn't competent. It wasn't something, I mean, it wasn't delivered by black professionals. So I I have to be honest about those things. Um, And then I think we all have a part to play in in our own um, freedom. Mm. And whatever that means for you. Mm-hmm. And so I think collective survival, which is what Black people have done forever, for eternity. Right. We got to come together as a collective and, and make some changes and work with each other. Um, I think we also have to hold white people accountable. Um, and that, you know, the, the thing at the Capitol was absolutely insane. Like that's, it's unfathomable. I just, I, I couldn't, I mean, I, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not completely 
Like I could see why it would happen, but it's just odd that it would happen. And so I think we need to take stock of that. And I think the white community needs to be honest about what's going on in their community. They also have to make some changes for themselves. Definitely. That's good. And a lot of us, or a lot of the conversations that I've been seeing have been, which we all thought was, had that been us, or even when we were protesting in DC last year, what, I mean, it was a group of armed, you know, forces that were there that were putting guns to babies' heads. That's people just walked in and oh, we just don't come on in. Was I mean, no fear, no nothing. It was like, hey, we here, let's tear up stuff and go home. That's the biggest display of um, privilege that that you have the audacity to to storm the Capitol building and you clearly don't believe that there are going to be any repercussions and honestly there weren't really. No, there weren't. There there weren't. And I think that that's you know something that okay we're twenty twenty is behind us we're going into twenty twenty one woohoo let's do it let's get the vaccines let's move forward and then it's like well dang this what we've been saying and I mean. Again, we have to continue to have these conversations because it's still here. Racism is still here. And the whole thought of this isn't America, we aren't like this. Well, that's a lie. And like you said, we have to hold white people accountable and we have to tell the truth. Yes, exactly. we, we are like that. America is like this. America has been like this. It's been like this and we've seen it. And so, you know, maybe the, if I'm looking at any positive, it seems like there are larger amounts of mainstream community and media who are kind of starting to see it now. And I think it's important that we continue along with that pathway of holding people accountable about being honest and really about being anti-racist and anti-Black. Definitely, definitely. Let me ask you something. Um, There's been this long stigma of Black people in therapy, right? We're, you know, we're told growing up, you know, go to church, pray about it. It's going to be all right. Just pray about it. Go to church. Talk to talk to the Lord. Which all is good. Talk to the Lord. Pray about it. You know, I'm all for prayer. Me too. But do you believe that in the wake of last year and coming into this year, in your you know work, do you believe that there has been a reimagining as it relates to Black people and how they see therapy and how they are starting to utilize it more? You know what, I definitely think there, I think there's been a trend towards that. And I think this year, 2020, because of the pandemic and because of the protest police brutality and it being such a a big thing, Mm -hmm. I think that I have seen, and this is anecdotal, I don't have any, the the data on that, I'd be curious to see. But I think that I've definitely seen an influx of more black people seeking out therapy and and, and seeking out black therapists to, to provide that support. Mm-hmm. And like you, you know, I do believe that it's important to pray about it and to be spiritually, you know, kept whatever that looks like for you. Being, you know, spiritually connected, praying about it is not mutually exclusive with going to therapy. I think those things really go hand in hand mm-hmm. if that's your orientation. Mm-hmm. So I think that going to therapy, I really encourage people to do that. It's really important for you. That That's good. That's really good. <laughs> That's really good, Dr. because, you know, just so often you hear or, you know, I've heard just pray and, you know, you're praying it out, but you're not seeing the result that you're looking for. You're not seeing that change. And it's not anything against prayer. But like you said, they you have to one isn't going to help. I mean, you have to do both if you want, I mean, you know, you want to see a result. So thank you for sharing that. I think that that's really important. And um, I think there are Bible verse like prayer without works. Amen. <laughs> Amen. 
it's not just the prayer. I mean, prayer is powerful. I truly believe it, but I absolutely think you got to do something as well. And that's where often the magic happens. And I'm sure there's things you pray about something that you did nothing about, but you know, (laughs) feel that therapy and seeking, you know, professional, just like we go to the doctor if we're sick, right? Our mental health. Exactly. You wouldn't go if you broke your leg. You're not going to go fix it on your own. If you're not a medical doctor, you're going to go to the hospital. You're going to seek out someone who can help you. Same thing with therapy. And then also, I think a big part of therapy, the work also happens outside of the room. So you also have to be willing to to change behaviors. Right. That's good. That is good. I want to talk a little bit about trauma, right? Um, what are ways in which unresolved and unaddressed trauma that we suffered maybe as kids, what are ways in which they show up as adults and we are, you know, not privy to it, we don't really understand it, but it's coming up, you know, now that you're a 30-something-year-old, what happened when you were a five-year-old because you didn't address it or deal with it? What are some ways? I think it's the unfortunate thing for some people is that you think like, oh, that happened when I was a kid. It doesn't mean anything, doesn't matter anymore. You just kind of want to close it up and throw it away. Mm-hmm. But that's not really how trauma works. Like mm-hmm. things, and just generally the way that we're psychologically made up, even positive things that happened to us as a kid matter for our life now. We, we opened up the conversation and I'm telling you about my childhood and how it impacted my life. So if that positive, those positive experience and even that one negative experience, if it didn't impact me, like if it impacted me in this way, mm-hmm. trauma definitely impact you um, if it's unresolved. Mm-hmm. So um, I think one of the ways that trauma sometimes shows up is your interpersonal relationships and dynamics. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes the way that you relate to people, sometimes your potentially people's inability to trust. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it may actually be trauma that's kind of showing up because of whatever happened in the past you may have a difficulty trusting people that they are going to keep you safe that they're going to follow their you know follow their word um i think you know sometimes sleep patterns um can be an indication of trauma one of the you know cardinal signs of ptsd is just sleep nightmares Mm, Um, nightmares yeah, sometimes for some people, not all people, okay. you know, but I think sometimes that you have nightmares or just a flashback of the, the thing that happened to you in the past. Um, some other signs of trauma, just if you keep thinking about it, mm. like if it pops up in your mind or things of it pops up in your mind when you don't want it to and you can't really concentrate. A lot of people also have this general sense of guilt or shame about what happened. Mm -hmm. And I think another thing is just the inability to talk about it, avoiding things that remind you of it, even avoiding thinking about it or talking about it, avoiding going places that remind you of it. That could be some unresolved trauma. Now, the thing that happened to you, if it's traumatic, it probably wasn't right. Right. It probably was hurtful. And so it may never be a something that you really like. Mm-hmm. But if you kind of process the trauma, you might be able to make it make some meaning out of it. You might be able to tolerate the thought of it a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. And you may be able to gain a little bit more control over how it pops up or shows up in your life. Oh, that's really good. And how do you, I know you said that you are in your journey of looking to find your own therapist or you know to talk to a therapist. Mm-hmm. How do you navigate navigate the responsibility of being a black woman while also um and a doctor while also trying to you know 
figure out your own space, but you're helping other people. How do you navigate that for yourself in terms of, you know, what's good for Akilah? And then I also have to help, you know, maybe Michelle over here. How do you navigate that? Yeah. And I think this is not something that a lot of my fellow, my co-therapists, co-psychologists are dealing with, especially this year. Mm-hmm. For some of us, this has been the busiest we've ever been. Wow. Um, because I feel like we also have a mental health crisis on our hands as well. Right. So for me, and I think just generally, you learn that the importance of self-reflection of your mm-hmm. ability to self-reflect on yourself and mm-hmm. self-monitor your own symptoms and how you're doing. Mm-hmm. So I definitely am often self-reflecting and self-monitoring myself. Um, and then self-care, I know this is like a buzzword, but generally the idea is taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, for me, it, it because of the stress of the pandemic and I'm just getting so busy right now during this time. I had to say to myself, like, either I take, I carve out time for myself mm-hmm. or I don't take on more clients. Oh. It was kind of, it was one of those, it was one of those things where right. it was either I'm going to make the time for myself and, and put a lot of self-care into it, maybe find, like find a therapist, things like that, mm-hmm. or I'm going to have to stop doing so much of the work. Mm. And um, so that's kind of some ways that I deal with it. And then, um, you know, I think just carving out, essentially with, along with that, is just carving out time for myself, making myself go outside when I don't feel like it sometimes. Right. Um, those kind of things. I love that. Um, I've been seeing a lot of things on social media as it relates to imposter syndrome. Yeah. And, you know, you know, this feeling of doubting oneself or your talents and your skills. Have you ever like felt that imposter syndrome and how do we navigate that space of you know what you're capable of you know what you've been doing for the past decade but then you'll get into a meeting or you'll get you know an opportunity and then all of a sudden it's like wait a minute I forgot everything that I've been doing or that I've learned how do you navigate that space man all the time I think (laughs) I think maybe it gets a little well I don't know if it ever gets easier for me but I think I end up having more history behind to kind of indicate to myself or at least the people in my life to indicate to me that like hey you felt this before and you've been fine you you have all these examples so one thing I encourage people to do is well how did you handle it in the past you Mm -hmm. know like when you had a new situation where you felt like you were an imposter and you didn't deserve it Mm -hmm. what did you do and for most people you end up you rise to the occasion um and then I think I just reminding yourself the the, reminding yourself whatever it is you're there for Mm -hmm. um I read Michelle Obama's book Becoming that I thought was really cool was when she was I think someone was asking her or she was reflecting I don't remember exactly but what it was like being around so many powerful leaders and people and she kind of was like you end up realizing that they're just not that smart you know like I'm gonna keep it real as she does right and so I took that and I was like and I've recently had some moments like that where mm-hmm. I'm like you know what <laughs> um you know and so I think that's helpful and then just social support mm-hmm. I really rely on family friends my partner to kind of give me energy give you know boost up my confidence give me something when I'm feeling nervous anxious worried about where I'm going and that I shouldn't be here mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's girl. Auntie is gonna tell us the truth, and she mm-hmm. is always miss her. Wish she wish they could come back to the White House. Um, dreaming. I'm hopeful. Hopeful. Uh, Diddy posted a quote at the end of 2020 that stated, um, "I believe this is right. If 2020 didn't bring out the hustle in you, the hustle was never in you." And so he caught a lot of flag from people, and a lot of people agreed with him. Like you know, because. Some people did thrive. Not everybody had a, you know, downturn in 2020. What are your thoughts on this whole hustle, grinding, don't sleep, don't eat, you got to get it, you got to keep going? What are, what are your thoughts on this mentality that social media has cultivated? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, balance mm-hmm. is key. So, um, and, and, and I also think, this is why I think it's very important for you to, to, individuals to know who you are and to be reflective about yourself, your values, what's important to you and what you want in life. Mm-hmm. So for perhaps for Diddy and for people like that, you know, the hustle is, he is the hustle. And so right. if that is the way that he wants to live his life and he's living it well in that way, then by all means do what you do. Right. But, you know, I don't think that we need to hold everyone to that standard because that's just not what everyone wants in their life. That's not what everyone's life is meant to be like. And I do think that sleep is really important. So I am a strong proponent of getting sleep. I don't, I mean, I don't know how people function without it. Um, For my understanding, science kind of tells us that sleep is important. So I would encourage sleep. I would encourage you taking care of yourself. I think that relaxing, I think that sometimes being still and doing nothing is a part of the grind. And so unfortunately, I think people, we are in this society where we kind of grind ourselves to death. And I think a part of American culture and capitalism is that you boom, 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 boom. But what is the point of doing all that if that's all you're going to do? You got to be able to enjoy it, to be able to relax and to restore yourself. So I personally think that there's a balance that needs to be had. And for people who are in the pandemic who didn't quote unquote thrive, we have to be honest and realistic about what was going on. We were all maybe in the same storm, but we were not all in the same boat. So that is extremely important. Say that doctor, say that. Um, but one last question before we go, and before we go, I wanna play a little game too, if you don't mind. I think we have a little bit more time, but yeah, let's um, do it. So you are engaged as we talked about at the beginning and you know, Mitch and talked about your wedding. So I'm super excited for you. you. Um, I've been married almost nine years. So the journey is a beautiful one. <laughs> But I have to have lunch with you and get some beef, some some support. (laughs) Girl, I will. We can chat. We can chat. There have been so many breakups, though, right? Divorces that occurred um, during the pandemic, um, during the beginning of the pandemic. What helpful tools would you give to couples, um, married or just dating, is as we embark on this, you know, next chapter of still being on lockdown, some places are, what what advice would you give for couples? yeah. In the pandemic. You know, I like to say that times of stress, mm-hmm. I think, can be really important for relationships because I think those are times that you probably want to draw near to each other. Mm-hmm. And I think for many people or many relationships, you kind of feel like you may be drifting apart during times of stress or maybe your natural inclinations to kind of get in your camp or do whatever you do. But I I would encourage you to draw near to your partner during this time, Mm -hmm. encourage you to have honest communication, have a lot of conversations 
if it's spacing issues, you kind of, kind of, I, I like to encourage people to have zones. I, I, and I told this to parents as well. You need to have zones in your home of where things happen, mm-hmm. flexible schedules. Um, I personally like me time. So um, if you're anything like me, kind of an introvert, you got to schedule personal time for yourself. But then you also really do have to schedule and be intentional about creating moments for you and your partner and being creative around that. And so maybe one of you guys each week takes a moment where you plan a little date and obviously it doesn't have to be extravagant it doesn't have to be a lot of money um you can't really do that much anyway but this weekend it was my partner's birthday and I was kind of worried because I was hoping we'd have outdoor dining and there wasn't any so I was like I don't know how I'm gonna pull off this for him um but we went to the beach and it was beautiful and it was nice and then we walked around and um you know we had a little social distance kind of family cake and ice cream situation mm-hmm. um, and we ordered in and, and, and it ended up being nice. It ended up being fun. And I think it ended up being what was most important. And then we also had some, a Zoom game night and then we had a, just a Zoom little family meeting the next day. And I think that, that that's what's important. Right. Togetherness, mm-hmm. connection, and just showing up for your partner, letting them know that you love them, that you care about them. Ooh, this has been, I feel like I went to therapy today. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I feel, it's, it was cathartic. So thank you. I feel like light. I feel like I have tools. So look, I need to book a session with you, Doctor. <laughs> Tell the people, Doctor Akila, where they can find you if they want to book a session with you, or if they just want to follow you, follow your journey, follow your your wedding um, journey. Tell people where they can follow you. Sure. Well, you can go to my website. That's drakila.com. D R A K I L A H.com. You can follow me on Instagram. It's at drakila at dr dot a-k-i-l-a-h and if you're interested in therapy with me or any of the amazing black girl psychologists that i work with you can go to the blackgirldoctor.com and you can schedule a free 20-minute consultation with one of us and we'd love to have you Ooh, i need to go and schedule mine today <laughs> okay <laughs> let's play a quick game i think we have a few minutes so the yeah. game is that's rapid fire it's done in 60 seconds what have you learned about yourself since becoming a psychologist um, oh gosh, sorry. Um, I have learned um, that I am moody. <laughs> <laughs> biggest accomplishment. The biggest accomplishment of this year. Um, honestly, I was really excited to join the Black Girl Doctor and really do virtual therapy with people. And then I also have to say, I think being on Taraji's show, that, that was amazing for me. I, I was so, you should have saw me out. My husband's like, what is it? I was like, my friend, my friend. <laughs> Um, what song are you listening to on repeat? Um, I love Celia Cruz. Um, okay. What is that song? Tiene, um, La Negra Tiene Tumbao. Azucar, Azucar. Okay, okay. I need to check that out. Best business advice you've been given? Um, advice that I have been given mm-hmm. um, to start. Oh, to I love it. Perfect. I love that. What would people be surprised to learn about you? to learn about me that they might be surprised to know that I'm actually really shy and kind of socially anxious. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. Okay, Texas or the West Coast? The West Coast? Yeah. <laughs> I'm a California girl. But I, I do love Texas though, I can't lie. I, I love Texas too. Three words that describe yourself. Um, optimistic, hopeful, and um, energetic. What brings you joy? What brings me joy, family and friends, like love, essentially. You brought me joy. You brought, I'm sure, 
people that will watch this joy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Dr. Akila, so super proud of you and your journey. You're such an inspiration. So thank you. Thank, thank you. you, Ashley. I'm super excited about you. Like when you came out to LA, I'm like, this girl is doing it, seeing you on TV too. So I can't wait to see where you go. And I love our backgrounds, how they're kind of. Similar. We're, we're, oh, you're going to be, because I'm going to be getting with you for an appointment. So we'll be hearing from me. Thank you so much, Dr. Akila. Thank you. Bye. Bye.